0: welcome again to Peninsula Talks.
1: G'day Brendan, yeah, an interesting day today as we've been uh, we've been told that we're going to find out on the weekend about possible relaxations, which a lot of people will be looking forward to. And we'll come to that in a moment, but uh, 423 new local COVID cases and concerns over hotspots uh, in the west and the north. And interestingly, the Peninsula's been lobbying quite hard for us to be considered a regional or separate to Melbourne because our cases are much lower. Uh, than Geelong, for example. Geelong is far closer geographically to these hot spots that are um, the biggest concern to health authorities right now.
0: Indeed, it's certainly an ongoing argument and Despio O'Connor has been waxing lyrical about that all week actually and indeed <laughs> it's really beginning to vex the minds of the Mornington Shire who are now making a very strong stand about uh, all sorts of permutations of how the Mornington Peninsula might look, whether it is going to be classified regional or metro as it now is and what the future might hold. But in terms of COVID-19 though, Pierce, I mean, obviously these numbers, Delta variant, as we've said last week and in weeks preceding, very difficult to contain. The genie seems to be out of the bottle, particularly in the north and the west of the city.
1: Yeah, well, that's right. And, and we were told that this was going to be a short and sharp lockdown when we went into this number six, which brings us to nearly eight months of lockdown, which I believe Melbourne is on track to be one of the, it's not the most certainly one of the most lockdown places on the planet. Now, there's a lot of people who are really very alarmed by that and they're alarmed by the effect on businesses, on people's mental health. The government has announced a, an initiative to uh, set up some pop-up mental health facilities around the state uh, and, and around Melbourne in particular because there is a growing mental health issue from these extended lockdowns. It's not just the one that we're in now, and this is where we're different facilities. Sydney didn't have anything like the lockdowns that we did in, in Melbourne last year, so it's a co- it's a combined effect. It's it's the combination of last year plus this year that is is really causing problems for Melbournians, causing that mental health crisis. So, the subject of opening up, I'm not that optimistic. I think that this government is very very risk averse. They are going to do things according to I think vaccination levels, and even that is not a guarantee. Uh, there's been some you know, some talk uh, about the need to get to 90%. And so, I, I mean, I, as with everything, I th- as with this lockdown we're in, I think that everything is going to be... You know, it's a moving feast for the government, and that's understandable. It is a fluid situation with Delta, different in that sense to last year because it's a far more transmissible form of the virus. But I think that anyone who's really hoping for too much in the way of uh, relaxation of lockdowns from Sunday is... That are likely, I suppose, for some small tweaking of, of the restrictions are outdoor settings that may be possible for groups to meet in parks, for example, or small groups to meet legally. I think it's probably happening anyway, but it might be uh, allowed to happen legally. There may be a relaxation of the curfew, the 9pm uh, to 5am curfew, which a lot of people have been critical of and don't see the, the logic and benefit of having that in the first place. And then also the 5 kilometre rule, may be relaxed to some extent. But I guess if you live on the peninsula, you'd be hoping that, given our high vaccination levels and low case numbers, that uh, we might get more than that. I spoke to the, the Shadow Health Minister last week. Her name's Georgie Crozier. Um, she's also the Deputy Leader of the Legislative Assembly. And she was supportive of uh, the Mornington Peninsula becoming regional. She said she couldn't see why it it wouldn't be allowed to be or at least be treated separately or differently to Melbourne because when you really consider it to Geelong, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have that proximity to those known western suburb hotspots that Geelong does, and yet Geelong is, is uh, regional and, and out of lockdown. So just to cover a little bit more about what Georgie Crozier was saying is that she's calling for a, a common-sense, nuanced response now on, which is and by nuance, she's saying that if you've got areas where you've got lots of people who are who are vaccinated and you've got lots of people who are doing the right thing and, uh, and low case numbers, then separate those places off, give those places more freedom, concentrate on the areas which which uh, need to be locked down or need to have restrictions for safety reasons, and concentrate your efforts to get vaccinations to those areas she was critical of the failure to get the message out early to the same suburbs that saw the biggest outbreaks last year, i.e. the west and the north of Melbourne, unfortunately.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? There's a point of difference now, I guess, between the opposition and also the government in the playbook here. Matthew Guy, I think, probably having a little bit of an impact and obviously uh, portraying himself as having a slightly different style and this particular model that you're talking about is probably resonant of um, what's happening up in New South Wales, whereby they've been trying to uh, target particular clusters rather than shut down the whole city. But I'm wondering, Piers, whether we shouldn't be looking overseas now as well as we sort of come out of the restrictions and hopefully our vaccination numbers, which I think down here, and we'll check with uh, Professor Damon Elsham in a little while when he joins us at around about half past about the numbers. I think we're approaching some 60% double jab down here in the Mornington Peninsula, which is fantastic. But if we look at the European model, are there any sort of signs there about what we could anticipate? I mean, the Europeans are pretty much traveling amongst themselves now. Uh, uh, UK thinking about jabbing into teenagers as well. Uh, I'm just wondering whether we will be following a similar style or similar policy.
1: Well, I hope we do. I mean, we have the benefit of, of kind of being behind what happens overseas. They were the worst hit. They got an earliest... We've had plenty of opportunity to learn from what's happened overseas. One of the things they've done in Europe and um, with sporting events, Wimbledon, for example, they use rapid antigen testing. Now, this has been in the news a lot lately. It's less reliable than the PCR test, which takes 24 hours or longer to give you the result, But it can be done faster in in sort of uh, unusual situations. But the average um, turnaround time is about 24 hours for PCR testing, which is considered the gold standard and most accurate. Then there's also rapid antigen testing, which can be you get the answer within 15 to 30 minutes from doing the test. And in the UK, people, you mail order them, you buy a pack of eight or 10 of these little plastic trays, and in the kit is a little swab that you can put up your nose, you you take a little sample yourself, you dip it into a little receiving tray, add a little droplet of a, a fluid which activates the test, then there's a QR code on each of those little plastic tabs, and you'll your phone you send the result of the swab you've done with the rapid antigen test to the nhs in the uk which is the national health service and then they if it's if it all sort of fits in with their other data that they've got on you or other outbreak information they've got for your area all that combined information they send a code back to you which is what you use to get into wimbledon for example incredible and 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 in its right context. It's not for every situation. It's not 100% reliable, but I believe, from what I'm told, that it's great for events because it picks up people who've got high viral loads and they're the ones who become super spreaders. So they're the ones who you need to need to stop getting into bigger events most. And you can have people who can have a high viral load but have no symptoms and be unaware that they've got COVID. So but that's one of the benefits of rapid antigen testing. And I think combined with a whole suite of other things, so social distancing, hand-washing, mask-wearing, a valid PCR test from, from within three days, those sort of measures all combined are the way that Europe's opened up, that events like Wimbledon have been able to be staged. There are hospitality leaders in Victoria and Australia. I spoke to Bruce Keeble last week of the big group. Um, he was saying, uh, you know, you could you could have the MCG. Operational for the grand final. You could have had limited numbers as there was for the Boxing Day test, which I went to late last year. 25% of the ground was was full. They had social distancing. They had a balance to work out who could get in because obviously it was oversubscribed. You weren't allowed to stand around at bars and they sort of restricted when you'd get, you'd get a drink and you could take it to your seat. And when you sat in your seat, there was lots of space around. So you were given a number, a seat number, which you had to sit in. And that way they were able to organise the ground and have lots of distancing. Now, Bruce Keeble of the big group was saying what a lost opportunity that was. Think of all the footy fans in Melbourne who would have rolled up their sleeves to get double dosed in time for the grand final. Think of the advantages that we would have now if we were, you know, if we'd really used that event as a lure. Um, And and, and Bruce is saying the Melbourne Cup on the 2nd of November is another thing that could be used as a, a carrot, if you like, as an incentive to get vaccinated quickly only three weeks required between doses now so it could be done and you could have a uh, combine all those things including rapid energy testing uh, and uh, you could have the Melbourne Cup and it could be the race that starts the nation instead of the race that stops the nation, as it's it's been called. And indeed,
0: and it looks like double dosing is going to be the way to go, because I noticed that uh, the big Met Ball in New York this week, if you were going to get in and get amongst the glitterati, you had to have a double dose and prove it. And also Air Canada has just announced in the last few hours that it's going to be flying uh, between us and Canada in the very near future, but you have to be able to prove that you've got that double dose before you get aboard the aircraft. It's the way of the future, I am sure. Yeah,
1: exactly. And combined with all those other measures, including rapid antigen Testing, uh, you know, that's another thing that that is is worth doing. According to Georgie Crozier, the Shadow Health Minister, she's lobbied the government. She's tried to get at rapid antigen testing on the discussion plate, if you like, for the government since the pandemic began. Because there's actually Melbourne companies making rapid antigen testing kits, which have been sold to the U.S. military. So we can do it here. We are doing it locally, but there's no there's no local appetite for the for the use of these. Apparently the government only wants to use the gold standard which is PCR testing which has one big drawback and that's turnaround time for
0: the result, Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed. As usual, very insightful. Thank you so much indeed, Piers. We'll have a lot to talk about next Wednesday, I'm sure, because as he's said, Daniel Andrews has basically been uh, telling us that on Sunday he'll have some big announcements to make. We will anticipate that with a great deal of interest, and hopefully we're going to see some sort of a way out of
1: all this not enough for the Premier to say, oh, I just follow the medical advice and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. We need to know, if we're going to be locked down in this way for longer, with suicide, mental illness and uh, ruined educations and businesses, then we need to understand very clearly why the government is making that decision to continue lockdown. What is the underlying logic? What is the medical advice that it's based on? There is a lack of transparency and an expectation of blind compliance from the public, which must end
0: Have a little bit of of confidence in our own ability to understand some of the issues that they might be wrestling
1: with. Self-preservation, you know.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Piers Cunningham, thank you very much. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.